0: is when Darth Vader says to his son, Luke, I am your father. See, in this moment, Luke realizes that Darth Vader didn't actually kill his father, but Darth Vader is his father. And Darth Vader's goal then is to now not kill Luke Skywalker, but rather to recruit him, to recruit his son to join him in ruling the empire. He says those words, join me and we can rule the galaxy together, father and son. And had Luke given in to that temptation for power, the Star Wars series would have ended quite differently. Now though none of us will ever face the temptation to rule over the galaxy, we do face temptation every single day of our lives. All of us are familiar with this idea of temptation. Whether it be very big temptations that are going to have long impacts on our earthly life here. Or whether it just be those little decisions that we are confronted with every day. In each of those situations, there's always two options. We can give in to temptation and sin. Or we can overcome temptation and act righteously. You know, perhaps you and your spouse have a disagreement and a, a mean thought comes into your head and you know that this thought is going to hurt them. Well, then there you're faced with a temptation. You know, do you say the thing that you know is going to sting and sin against them? Or do you keep quiet and act in the way of righteousness? Or maybe you're scrolling through your social media on your phone and all of a sudden a picture comes up that's a little bit too revealing. Well, do you stop and stare and lust and give in to temptation? Or do you turn your face away and keep scrolling? Or maybe it's thoughts of anxiety. Are you going to let these thoughts sit and linger and control you? Or are you going to, as the scripture says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you? See, each of these are examples of little temptations that we face every day. And it's a battle that we're going to face for the rest of our lives. You know, Christian and non-Christian, every human being is faced with the reality of temptation for the whole of their lives. It's the common denominator across all of humanity. And just as we all have the experience of temptation in common, unfortunately, there's another thing that all of humanity shares together. And that is that we far too often fail in the face of temptation. I mean, none of us can stand here and say that we have always taken the right path out of temptation. Now, I can almost guarantee that most of us here, even this morning, have sinned in either thought, attitude, action, or word. And you see, that's, that's not a problem to just be brushed off. It's not something you can say, well, everyone does it, so it's not a big deal. It's a serious problem because our sin is deserves the wrath of God. Now, God can... We, we often think, why can't God just bell curve this for us? You know, why can't God just say, well, you know, not, no one is making the standard, so why don't we just lower the standard of this test? Why don't we just say, you know, whoever scored the highest, which might have been like a 50% on all their temptations, why don't we just make the test out of 50%? Well, the problem is that God doesn't do these bell curves with our sin. If God did bell curves, if God lowered this standard of perfection, God wouldn't be God because God would cease to be holy. You see, what God requires of us is 100% on all of our temptations. We must always take the right path out of temptation or it is a complete fail. The whole test is done. And the punishment for that fail, as we said, is the wrath of God. And this leaves us with a sad reality because we've all admitted we don't score 100% on this test. And therefore we must all admit that we deserve the wrath of God. But, what if someone came along and did pass this test that all humanity is faced with? What if someone did come along and score 100% overcoming the obstacle that has defeated every human before? Would that mean anything for humanity under the wrath of God who has all already failed God's test? Well, this morning we're going to be looking at the temptation of Jesus. So you can turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Now what many people will do is they'll come to this passage, the temptation of Jesus, and they'll, they'll look at it and they'll say that this is a passage on how to overcome temptation. Now Jesus here, he's going to give us three ways that you can overcome sin in your life. He's going to give us three strategies for how to fight off the devil. But that's actually not the main point of this passage. Now the main point is not that That we are, once we know these strategies, then all of a sudden we're going to be able to overcome every sin in our life. Though we do learn some great things from Jesus. You know, Jesus always goes to the word to fight temptation. That's not the main point. Remember, we've all written our tests already and we have failed. Placing us under the condemnation of God. And get this, we failed even though we knew the answers beforehand. I mean, all of us here know that sin is wrong. There's no no one here that is in sin because of ignorance. God has written his law upon our hearts. We know that sin is wrong. We already have all of the answers, and yet we still choose sin over righteousness. And so the problem is not that we need another chance to write the test or that we need the right answers given to us. The problem is that we need someone to come and write this test on our behalf. In our passage, we're going to see if Jesus is worthy to do that. Now normally I'll I'll read the whole passage, and then we'll work our way through it, but this morning uh, we're going to just read it as we go, and I'll make comments as we go along. So Luke chapter 4, first I'll read for us verses 1 and 2. And Jesus, full of of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And so now we're here in these these first couple verses. We're given a little bit of, of context before we're actually going to get into the temptations of Jesus. And if you remember. What previously just happened in our story in Luke? Well, back in chapter 3, we had the baptism of Jesus. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. That's why Luke says he is, he is full of the Holy Spirit, and he was declared to be by God the true Son of God. Remember, God calls out from heaven those words You are my beloved Son and with you i am well pleased and we saw last week that jesus is being cast as this second adam role that we see in scripture that he has become this new head of humanity to fix the brokenness of sin and death that has come over our world and that has been brought about by the first adam that we read about in the fall and this idea continues on of him being the the second adam through the temptation of jesus if you think about it who was adam tempted by was tempted by the serpent by the devil himself and he sinned and so the question is will jesus fall the same fate when tempted by the serpent that thousands of others have have fallen into which it all started with adam or will he be the one to finally overcome But not only do we have Christ taking on this new Adam role in his temptation, we also see parallels between Christ and the people of Israel. It says in our passage that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. If you look, how long was he led to the wilderness for? Well, for 40 days. And for what purpose? It says for a time of temptation and testing. The Spirit led him out to be tempted and tested. Now, all of this should sound familiar to us. Wilderness, 40, testing. See, it reminds us of Israel when they spent 40 years being tested by God in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 to 3 says this, And you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you, To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And so you see, Israel's time in the wilderness was a punishment, but also was, in part, a time of God testing them to see their faithfulness to him and his plan. And now, how did Israel do on that test? Well, you can add Israel to that long list of failures that had come before them and will come after them they grumbled and they were full of unbelief and many perished in the wilderness because of it and so through this introduction there remains for us this this picture of an unconquered enemy sin and death and the devil have overcome both adam and israel and all who have come since it's like the legend of king arthur and the sword in the stone you know people are coming from far and wide, the greatest knights in the kingdom, all to see if they are worthy to remove the sword from the stone. But one by one they come, and one by one they fail. The, the stone proves to be an enemy that cannot be conquered. And it's also a picture that we see in Revelation chapter 5 in regards to sin. Revelation 5 says this, And then I saw in the right hand of him, so John is having this vision and he's, he's in the throne room and it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And so you have this picture here of, of God sitting on the throne and and we've just been told what the seals are. These are the, the judgments and the plans of God written in this scroll. And all of heaven, all of earth, all of under the earth is searched and not a single person is worthy to open this. not a single person is worthy to execute the plans of god and so john this grown man is weeping loudly because then justice is not going to come to the earth there's going to be no righteousness that's going to rule over the bad guy is going to win because not a single person is worthy to bring about these judgments on the evil in the world and this is what we are seeing so far with humanity No one has come, no one is worthy. Not Adam, not Noah, not Abraham, not Israel, not David, not Solomon, not a single person. And that's why the temptation of Jesus is so critical to the story of the gospel. You know, would he be another in a long line of failed human beings? Or would he emerge as one who is truly worthy to open the scroll? And so now that we have this setting placed here, let's move on to the first temptation of Jesus. Verses 2 and 3 read For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing, or he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And so we see here that Jesus, after spending this time in the wilderness, is is quite hungry. And you might have been running late this morning and had to skip breakfast, and you're like, "Wow, I can relate to Jesus." But uh, Jesus is is experiencing a hunger that we have never experienced before. Forty days of fasting in the wilderness. This is this isn't some, you know, he's not fasting in his home where he distract himself with other things. He is. He is there in the wilderness, 40 days, no food, no company, just him and the dry ground, uh, and, and that is all. But then, as Jesus' time of fasting is nearly done, and it's drawing to a close, all of a sudden, someone else appears with him in the wilderness. And it is the devil, the enemy of God, that crafty serpent that we read about, who came and tricked the first Adam. And now of course Satan is doing what he always does. He's choosing to attack Jesus when he's at his weakest. You know it's a common tactic of the devil even towards us. It's often that when we are weak, that's when the temptations are going to come. It's when we're deprived of certain things that we seek to take matters then into our own hands rather than trusting in God. You know the poor man lacking money is the one who's likely to be seduced by greed or the the single man lacking a spouse is the one likely to be seduced by lust and jesus is or satan here is recognizing that jesus is at his weakest and so he is attacking him jesus is hungry so he seduces him with food he says if you are the son of god verse three I actually i didn't read verse three last time he says the devil said to him if you are the son of god command this stone to become bread. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. He says, you're hungry. Turn this stone into bread and eat. And now you might be thinking, as I was thinking, as I'm reading through this, how is this a temptation? I mean, why, why would it be a sin for Jesus to take a stone and turn it into a loaf of bread when he's hungry? Am I in sin when I'm hungry and I go to the cupboard and get food to satisfy that hunger, well, it's a sin because you see what Satan is trying to do here is he's trying to get Jesus to distrust the love of God for him. Satan's not interested in seeing Jesus' power. He knows Jesus can easily do this. He's He, he knows that Jesus is the one who has created all of this beautiful creation that we see around us. He created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. So, so Satan's not trying to, to test the power of jesus here instead he's getting jesus to distrust the love of god and the words of god it's the same thing that he did to adam and eve in the garden satan is a is a one trick pony it's the exact same thing remember what he said to them in the garden you know did god actually say were those actually the words of god surely what god says in true you won't die i mean you know, you know, God is just saying that because if you eat from the tree, you'll be like him. You can't trust him and his words. He's only looking out for his own interest. That's what, that's what Satan was saying to Adam and Eve in the garden. And he's doing the same thing here to Jesus. He's saying, you know, I, I know God said you are my beloved son. But your situation doesn't look too beloved to me. If you are the so-called son of God, the king of the Jews, the one in whom God delights, then why are you out here suffering? Now, why are you sitting on a mound of dry sand rather than on the throne of a king? Sure looks like God loves you, sending you out here to starve. What happened to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Turn this stone into bread, because God is not going to provide for you. You can't trust his love. You see, we as, we as believers, we all, we all face this exact same temptation when we come across suffering and hardship in our life. You know, Satan and his demons whisper in our ears, you are suffering because God doesn't actually love you like he says he does. You cannot trust God to provide for you if you if you were the child of God you would be healthy wealthy and always happy but instead look at where God has put you if you want satisfaction and pleasure in this world you have to go out and you have to take it because God clearly isn't going to give it to you those are the lies that the devil whispers to us when, when we when we face suffering and hardship. But Jesus sees through this trap that we so often fall into. Look at verse four. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now Jesus here affirms that true life comes not from physical food, but from trusting in God. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus quotes the rest of the verse as well. He says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus is affirming here that no, God can be trusted. His words are true and sure, and it is they that impart life to me, not food. If Jesus would have turned these stones into bread, he would have been nullifying this belief that what God provided was enough. See, when you're tempted, you need to remind yourself of this. That God is for you. God is on your side. God, the scriptures say, has not withheld his only begotten begotten son. Surely will he not give you all things as well. And so when temptation comes, don't listen to the devil. Don't doubt God's love and God's ways like Satan wants you to. Satan wants you to think that God doesn't actually love you. He wants you to think that disobedience rather than obedience is where you are going to find peace and joy and satisfaction in this life. But that is a lie. That is a lie. You might get some temporary pleasure and satisfaction from your sin from turning to disobedience, but it's going to fade. It's going to fade. It's like a, a, a drug. You'll, you'll need more and more and more sin to get that same satisfaction. And yet, at the end of the day, you will still be found wanting It is is God and knowing God and following God's ways that will bring you the only satisfaction that lasts in this life. And so when temptation comes, don't don't turn the stones into bread. Remain faithful to God. Trust in His love. And he He is going to satisfy. He can be trusted. And now Satan recognizes his defeat. And so he moves on to his second attempt now at tempting Jesus. And I think this is a quick reminder for us that Satan is not lose the battle once and raise the flag of surrender kind of guy. Now, he is relentless. You fight off the devil, he comes right back. He attacks and attacks and attacks the people of God in a re- relentless way. And this time, Satan tries to get Jesus. To distrust the plan of God. So first he wanted Jesus to distrust the love of God. Now he's going to try and get Jesus to distrust the plan of God. Look at verses 5 to 7. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Now you can kind of picture this scene in your head. The devil takes Jesus up to this high place. I'm not sure if it was a, um, an actual mountain that was in that area or a different mountain or, or uh, up into the sky where he's able to see all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Now, it's interesting that Luke is saying <coughs> all the kingdoms in a moment of time. And so what he's referring to here is that Jesus is witnessing all of the kingdoms throughout all of history that have been filled with glory and honor. Every kingdom that has ever existed. You know, the, the Greek empire with its magnificent wisdom and influence and prestige, or uh, the current Egyptian uh, uh, nation, which its rolling hills of grain were vast enough to supply the whole Roman Empire with all of its grain that was needed. Or or Rome, you know, the most powerful and widespread empire to ever exist. Legions and legions available at its disposal. And Satan is showing Jesus all of these kingdoms and he's saying, it could all be yours. You could, you could have the command of all of this imagine what you could do with the wisdom of Greece imagine what you could do with the power of Rome right now I am the God and ruler of this world but you could take it all and it could be at your command they would all sit under you and your rule and glorify you and now this is interesting because Satan he's actually not the first person to make this offer to Christ. You see, Jesus has already been promised the rule and the glory of the nations by God, his Father. Psalm 2 verse 8 says, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You see, Jesus in God's plan is going to inherit the nations. You know, all the kingdoms that that Satan has shown him and all of their glory will belong to Christ one day. But first, what must Jesus do? Well, Isaiah chapter 53 tells us. It says, "Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied in other words jesus will inherit the nations through his suffering through the anguish of his soul on the cross and so what the what the devil is doing here is he is trying to offer jesus the kingdoms but he's offering them to him without this last clause Without without the need to go and to suffer on the cross, you know you can you can kind of picture it. He's he's saying to to Jesus, you got two offers here on the table, buddy. You got God's offer, you know that you experience pain and suffering and the rejection and the very wrath of God, and then you'll inherit the kingdoms, or you have my offer, and my plan. You simply fall down, and you worship me, and it it will all be yours. Do you really want the cross? Do you really want the rejection? Do you really want the weight and sin of mankind upon you? You know your friends are just going to abandon you, right? You know your, your, your own people are going to be the ones who crucify you, right? You know that till your very last breath, you'll be hanging there upon the cross and they will be mocking you to the very last second. You can avoid all of that. All of that suffering if you will bow down and worship me. You see, Satan knows. He knows that people will often sin if it means they get to avoid suffering. People will often sin if it means they get to avoid suffering. People will steal if they're going to go hungry. People will cheat on their taxes if it means they don't have to miss out on a vacation that they've planned. People will lie and bear false witness if it saves their backside. A mother will kill her unborn child if it means she can have uh, an advancement in her career. Or as we saw throughout COVID, people will turn on their families and destroy relationships if it means staying safe. The words of, of Satan from the book of Job actually prove true. Satan for a liar said something true. He said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. In other words, man will sin if it avoids if it means that he gets to avoid his suffering. Now the question is, is that you? Is that you? Would you sin if it would save you some suffering? I mean how comfortable are you in walking the path of suffering that the Lord may have called you on. You know, would you sacrifice wealth for poverty if it meant obedience to the Lord? Would you sacrifice comfort for suffering if it meant obedience to the Lord? Would you sacrifice pleasure that this world offers for self-control if it meant obedience to the Lord? You know, is it worth you? Is, is it worth it to you? Or perhaps a better question is, is he worth it to you? you know, is Jesus actually worth it to you? What, what profit a man if he gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? And we can look to Jesus for strength in this. You see, Jesus understands that the path of suffering is the path that God has called him to. And so he answers the devil in verse 8. And Jesus answered him, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And so Jesus takes the offer of the devil and he casts it aside and he remains faithful to the Lord. And to the Lord only, despite the path of suffering that he knows that he is now going to have to walk down. And so now on to the third try of the devil. To get Jesus to fall into sin. So he's tried to get Jesus to doubt the love of God. He's tried to get Jesus to doubt the plan of God. And now what he's going to do is try to get Jesus to put this God that he continues to trust in to the test. Look at verses 9 and 10. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down here. For it is written, He will command His angels con- concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And so now we move on here to a, a new setting. So they, they leave the mountaintop and they head now to the highest place of the temple. And they're standing there on the edge of the temple. And Satan s- essentially says to, to Jesus, All right. So you trust God's love. You trust the plan of God. You trust him, do you? Well, show me. Let's see if he, if he really does care for you like you think he does. Let's put this love of his to the test. Besides, don't the scriptures say you know, his angels will protect you? Well, let's see if that's true. You know, I can imagine kind of Satan standing there and he's got this, this wicked grin on his face because here he thinks that he has trapped Jesus. That's what he thinks. You know, Jesus has affirmed his trust in God. And so if he doesn't jump, well, then is he not trusting God? And if he does jump, well, now he's putting God to the test. And now you might ask again, like with the first temptation, well, why is that a sin? You know, why would it be a sin for Jesus to, to jump off and, and the angels to catch him as the scriptures say? What would be wrong? Wrong with Jesus doing this. Well, it's wrong because it's treating God as the one who needs to be tested. It's elevating yourself above God as as the one who judges God and whether God is worthy. You see, it's it's presumptuous and it's arrogant and it's proud for us to say, God, you need to prove yourself here. You know, God doesn't need to prove anything. We are the ones being tested, not the other way around so so jesus by doing a reckless act and then expecting god to bail him out of that it's it's wrong because it's putting god on the hot seat and then expecting him uh, to to save you and rescue you from the peril that you have put yourself in it treats god like a like a genie who's there to come out and do tricks for us and and to get us out of the bad situations we find ourselves in and now you might think how what would be what would it be like today to test God? I mean, we're not going to encounter that same uh, temptation that Jesus faced. And so, what would it look like to put God to the test today? Well, perhaps it might be something along the lines of, you know, God, if if you want me to follow you, well, can you do this for me? Can you can you give me this thing, or can you can you show me this so that I know that you can be trusted? So I know that you're not a a phony. It's in, in, in doing so that's really what we're doing. We're testing God, we're placing ourselves in this seat of judging over God. Or perhaps a subtler test that I think is more applicable to us is, is, is we are testing God when we do not recognize the seriousness of our sin. None of us would explicitly say it, but we can sometimes think to ourselves, you know well if, if I sin here, I'm saved by grace through faith alone, and I'm going to be forgiven of my sins. That's what God tells me. So, so is it really that big of a deal that I go and sin? You know, why not? Why not go ahead and then I can ask for forgiveness later? See, in doing so, we are testing the grace of God. Now we are we are presuming on His gracious nature at the extent of His holiness, at the expense of His holiness. I saw I saw a debate one time. It was between two Christians and two atheists. and it was uh, one of the wildest things I actually saw. If you want some good Christian entertainment, go and watch this debate. Um, because one of the atheists he got up, and the whole debate he was being like it was it was sometimes hard to watch his his behavior and his attitude. And at the end, in his final speech, what he did was he quoted Mark sixteen verse eighteen, which says, If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. That's what it says. And so what he did was he pulled out a jug of engine coolant and he poured it into a cup and he called his opponents in the debate and all the Christians in the crowd to show him that God exists. And And he wanted them to show him that they actually trusted in God by drinking this poison. And immediately as I was watching that bait, I thought of this exact same moment where the devil is is calling Jesus to do something completely reckless and then expect God to bail him out of it. And I thought of the words of Jesus in verse 12. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. See, God doesn't need to prove himself to anyone. You don't judge God. God judges you. And so Jesus passes the final temptation here from Satan. And we see in verse 13, And when the devil ended every temptation, he departed from him till an opportune time. And so going back now, remember how at the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned how we have all failed under temptation. Adam failed when tempted. Israel failed when tempted. Us sitting here in these seats failed when tempted. And because we failed, we deserve the wrath of God for our sins. Well, praise be to God that Jesus didn't fail. That Jesus has the power to defeat Satan and that he did defeat Satan. He has come and he has bound the strong man. Jesus lived the perfect life, never once falling into sin. Jesus scored 100% on the test that we have all failed. And he doesn't just say, hey guys, look, that's how you do it. Good luck, go ahead and do it yourselves. No, what does he do? What does he do? He gives us his 100% score and he takes all of our, our failing marks and our sins and our wrongdoings and our punishment and he takes it all upon himself. And we get to walk free with his perfect score, his perfect righteousness, and we get to become the sons and daughters of God. See, Jesus passed the temptation. Jesus walked the, the path of suffering, bearing the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to. And not only that, it gets, it gets even better than that. Jesus' victory over the devil and temptation is now available to us. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet without sin. Therefore, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need if you're here this morning and you are battling temptation and i know that you are and if you're feeling discouraged and tired because the battle is hard and it seems like there is no victory in sight maybe you fall into that same sin over and over and you feel like just like overcome by this enemy that can't be defeated, well do not lose hope. Jesus has overcome the evil one. Jesus has been tempted in every way.